God is glorious in his saints. Welcome to the Christian Saints Podcast, where we explore the lives of the saints of the church. My name is James John Marks, recording from the city of Chicago. This week's episode is the second presented on this podcast regarding St. Paul the Apostle, who is commemorated on June 29th, along with St. Peter. They are commemorated together to acknowledge the reconciliation which took place between them during the Council of Jerusalem, which is documented in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 15. Some traditions even have it, they were martyred in Rome on the same day, albeit in different ways, due to St. Paul's status as a Roman citizen. As with our most recent episode discussing St. John the Forerunner, Dr. Darren has already provided an excellent account of the life of St. Paul in the episode published on June 26th of 2021. Today we will turn our focus to a specific vision of St. Paul's, which provides a great deal of context for many of the decisions he made throughout his ministry, which can seem quite strange otherwise. St. Paul's vision, which clearly became the singular focus of his ministry as he neared the end of his life, was to preach the gospel to the emperor of Rome in the hopes of converting him, and in so doing, make it possible to evangelize the entire empire, which from his perspective at the time is to say, the entire world. One view of history would say he failed to achieve this goal. The emperor Nero certainly did not become a Christian, In fact, he features prominently in the revelation of St. John as an archetypal example of an antichrist. On the other hand, one can take another view of history and see the Emperor St. Constantine's public embracing of the Christianity in which his mother St. Helen raised him, the ending of public idolatrous sacrifices, the ending of official persecution of Christians, and his involvement in seeking the peaceful unity of the bishops, all of which led in time to mass conversion and the evangelizing of the known world, as being precisely the fulfillment of St. Paul's vision. When we understand that departed saints are more alive than we are, and they intercede on behalf of the world ceaselessly, we can even see how St. Paul played an active role in this outcome, and was able to participate in the joy of it. In constructing our view of this narrative, we owe a debt of gratitude to the article Saints Paul and Constantine, written by Father Stephen DeYoung, which can be found on the Orthodoxy and Heterodoxy blog published on the Ancient Faith Ministries website, a link to which will be provided in the episode description. Too lengthy to articulate in full in this episode, the account in the Acts of the Apostles beginning in chapter 19 through 28, which is the end of the book, will be summarized for our purposes. We encourage you to take the time to read these chapters in their entirety. St. Paul is at the end of a two-year mission in Ephesus, which has been overwhelmingly successful. He declares his intentions to travel to Jerusalem and then to Rome, the former because of his endless zeal for celebrating the feasts in the holy city, and the latter as, despite having already written them a letter, he has not yet been there to preach and witness. Unfortunately, Demetrius the silversmith foments antagonism between his guild and St. Paul because so many people are converting to the way of the Christians, 
it is cutting into their business of making shrines to Artemis. When this antagonism spills over into a citywide riot, St. Paul departs Ephesus for Macedonia. While spending a few months in Greece en route to Jerusalem by way of Syria, a group of Jews plot against him, and he returns to Macedonia. After passing through Philippi around the time of the Passover, St. Paul begins to seek a route which will get him to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. To avoid further delay, he bypasses Ephesus, but does call the leaders of the community there out to speak to them, where he admits the Holy Spirit has made it clear to him, imprisonment and affliction await him in every city to which he will go. In the city of Tyre, in Syria, the local community warns St. Paul not to go to Jerusalem. In Caesarea, in the house of St. Philip, Agabus the prophet warns St. Paul the Jews in Jerusalem will bind him and deliver him to the Gentiles. Upon arriving in Jerusalem, St. Paul is warned of a rumor which has spread through the city, asserting he goes around the whole empire, persuading Jews to abandon the law of Moses. In an effort to dispute the insult, St. Paul is encouraged to take four men to the temple and to pay their expenses to take a Nazarite vow. Unfortunately, those who are plotting against St. Paul have seen him walking about the city with an Ephesian named Trophimus, claiming that he took Greeks into the temple to receive these rites rather than Jews, incites yet another riot. The Tribune sends soldiers to protect this man being beaten by the mob, but then mistakes him for the leader of a band of Egyptian assassins and takes him away in chains. When St. Paul explains who he is to the man, he is given permission to address the crowd, but his words only incite them to even more unrest. Confused, the Tribune orders him to be examined by scourging, at which point St. Paul asserts his Roman citizenship as protection. At this point, the Tribune summons the Jewish council and high priest to get them to explain what it is they have against St. Paul. Knowing the council is divided between Sadducees and Pharisees, he declares that he is being persecuted for the sake of the resurrection, and as the Sadducees do not believe there is a resurrection, yet more violence erupts, the soldiers take St. Paul away for his own protection, and Christ appears to St. Paul again, as he had done on the road to Damascus, to let him know this witness that he has given must be taken to Rome, fulfilling what was said of him by Christ to Ananias in the Acts of the Apostles chapter 9, verse 15. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. This seems to be the point at which St. Paul realizes his mission to Rome will not be primarily in the synagogues and gathering places, as has been his custom throughout his journeys, but will rather be within the context of a trial where he will witness to the authorities. From this point until the end of the Acts of the Apostles, St. Paul is involved in a series of hearings and trials. It is clear from the outset the Romans are baffled as to why this man can arouse so much hatred from his own people. They have no understanding of the details of the Jewish religion, and so can make no sense of why his assertions about Jesus being the Christ make people want to kill him. We would expect St. Paul, knowing he can use his Roman citizenship as protection, to put on a hearty defense and demand action be taken against those who have been persecuting him. However, we instead see St. Paul witnessing the faith in such a way as to find himself shuffled up the chain of command, from the tribune to
to Felix the governor, to Festus, who seems inclined to give St. Paul his liberty. Realizing this, St. Paul appeals to be tried by Caesar. Even King Agrippa, who comes to visit Festus, is quite convinced by the witness to the faith given by St. Paul. There is no reason to allow the Jews to kill him. But having already made his appeal to Caesar, St. Paul must be sent to Rome. There is a storm en route. St. Paul is reassured by an angel that he will reach Rome and preach to Caesar. However, the ship is wrecked and lost, allowing St. Paul to witness to the residents of the Isle of Malta. After waiting out the winter, he boards another ship, and he is eventually welcomed by the community of Christians living in Rome, where he preaches to the Jews there, who are oddly ignorant of the commotion that he has been causing throughout the rest of the empire. Here is where the Acts of the Apostles ends. At the ending of St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, he alerts them that there are now Christians in Caesar's household who send them greetings, an indication while Nero himself may not have been swayed by St. Paul's witness, many who overheard the encounter were. Eventually St. Paul is beheaded in Rome. The Emperor St. Constantine would not pass the Edict of Milan, which legitimized Christianity within the Roman Empire for another 250 years. During this time, untold numbers of Christians were martyred for the faith. The drumbeat throughout the epistles of the New Testament, as well as the revelation of St. John, is, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. Powerful rulers come and go, but suffering for Christ is not a curse. The joy of the faithful will endure forever. The writings from the post-apostolic era are equally a mixture of encouragement and accounts of the witness of martyrs. Clearly, the temptation to despair was pervasive during these centuries. We live in a time when what has come over the last half century to be known as the culture war puts forward a model in which speaking truth to power is an exercise in instant gratification. If one has the truth, and one asserts this truth clearly and accurately, all those who hear will either fall into agreement, or will choose willful ignorance, or willful evil. Ignorance must be indoctrinated, and evil must be opposed. The problem, of course, and the reason why this war is both futile and interminable, is both sides have precisely this perspective, and so will never stop seeking to browbeat and or to cancel those whom they disagree with. Meanwhile, the only change to society as a whole is a radical decrease in civility and the love of neighbor. Last week, we spoke about the life of faithfulness, becoming a saint as the path of humble self-sacrifice. Speaking truth to power typically results in mistreatment and even death. However, St. Paul also speaks about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you would. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are plain, Immorality, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. I warn you, 
as I warned you before, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us have no self-conceit, no provoking of one another, no envy of one another. Patience. Joy. These are not virtues which gain much traction in our society. But how deep must the joy of St. Paul have been when in spite of years of violence and imprisonment, he could sing hymns in the night, preach to anyone and everyone, including mobs, soldiers, governors, and tyrants. How long his patience that he could die knowing his vision would, one day, be fulfilled. The culture war is hopeless. The battered and beleaguered combatants look around and see only lost ground. By contrast, St. Ignatius, in his epistle to the Romans, which he wrote as he was being marched to that city to be executed, concerned that some attempt would be made to secure his rescue, wrote these words. In chapter 4, I write to the churches and impress on them all that I shall willingly die for God unless you hinder me. I beseech of you not to show an unseasonable goodwill toward me. Allow me to become food for the wild beasts through whose instrumentality it will be granted me to attain to God. I am the wheat of God, and let me be ground by the teeth of the wild beasts, that I may be found the pure bread of Christ. Rather entice the wild beasts, that they may become my tomb, and may leave nothing of my body, so that when I have fallen asleep in death, I may be no trouble to anyone. Then shall I truly be a disciple of Christ, when the world shall not see so much as my body. Entreat Christ for me, that by these instruments I may be found a sacrifice. And in chapter 5, May I enjoy the wild beasts that are prepared for me, and I pray they may be found eager to rush upon me, which also I will entice to devour me speedily and not deal with me as with some whom, out of fear, they have not touched. But if they be unwilling to assail me, I will compel them to do so. Pardon me in this. I know what is for my benefit. Now I begin to be a disciple, and let no one, of things visible or invisible, envy me that I should attain to Jesus Christ. Let fire and the cross, let the crowds of wild beasts, let tearings, breakings, and dislocation of bones, let cutting off of members, let shatterings of the whole body, and let all the dreadful torments of the devil come upon me, only let me attain to Jesus Christ. And in chapter 6, Pardon me, brethren, do not hinder me from living, do not wish to keep me in a state of death, and while I desire to belong to God, do not give me over to the world. Allow me to obtain pure light, when I have gone there, I shall indeed be a man of God. Permit me to be an imitator of the passion of my God. If anyone has God within himself, let him consider what I desire, and let him have sympathy with me, as knowing how I am straightened. 
What a stark contrast to the instant gratification of rhetorical victory over someone suffering in error. Another fruit of the Spirit is self-control. How great is this self-control, which can beg others to allow oneself to be tortured to death, that one may truly live. These same virtues allowed Saint Paul to lay the groundwork which, in time, would change the whole world. While the message has not been heeded everywhere, one must travel to rather remote corners to find people who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. Even today, those who seek to dismantle the remains of Christendom justify their critique using morals and ethics which Christianity brought into the world. The ancient world was a brutal and savage place. It is certainly true many Christians have fallen into error and in so doing brought about suffering and violence at times, and the critique of these times are valid. It is as nothing, however, as to what came before. The Stichirum of the Festal Vespers cannot overstate the importance of St. Paul's vision. Are there any worthy crowns of praise for Saints Peter and Paul the Apostles? Although they were physically separate, yet in the spirit they were united. They were the premiers among God's heralds, the one who was the leader of the Apostles' band, and the other who truly labored more than all the rest. They have been crowned with the halos of immortal glory, being worthy of them indeed by Christ our Lord and God, the Savior who has great mercy. How shall we worthily sing hymns to honor Peter and Paul? Their hands were filled with grace and truth. Their feet carried them to the ends of the earth, preaching the gospel of peace. Once driven by the wind, the spirit, they are now carried up to heaven. Truly, they are rivers of wisdom and upholders of the cross. Through them, Christ our God, who has great mercy, has cast down the arrogance of demons. What spiritual song shall we sing for Peter and Paul? They have silenced the sharp tongues of the godless. They are awesome swords of the spirit. They are the adornment of Rome. They have nourished the whole world with the word of God. They are the living tablets of the New Testament written by the hand of God. Christ, who has great and rich mercy, has exalted them in Zion. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Christian Saints podcast. Please be sure that you are subscribed wherever you prefer to access podcasts to ensure that you are notified regarding future episodes. We humbly ask you to rate the podcast as well, as this helps make this work more visible to others. We pray this episode was edifying for you. If so, please consider sharing it with those you care about. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter for feedback or conversation, which we would welcome. All music on the podcast is my own. Recordings of this and all my music can be found at generativesoundsjjm.bandcamp.com. Let us end this episode with the Traparian for Saints Peter and Paul. First enthroned of the apostles, teachers of the universe, entreat the masters of all to grant peace to the world and to our souls great mercy.